You're listening to the Redemption Road Podcast. Love the intro music. Love the intro music. Hey, this is Toby, everybody. Uh, just welcome to uh, this week's edition of the Redemption Road podcast. That's awesome that you're here. I'm glad you're listening. Uh, the reason I'm starting off is that uh, I'm going to interview Aaron Harsh, Mr. Aaron Harsh, my good friend. And, up, buddy? Uh, yeah, how you doing, man? Doing good. Good. It's we fun. Also, Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we also have Casey Hill is in the room, is in the Ooh. house. And so is Albert, a man. What up? What up, Albert? Yeah, we wanted to uh, take this opportunity to, to check into Aaron, you know, and see what his story's about. You've heard all of our stories. And so we wanted to turn the page here and, and get Aaron get Aaron going on his. So you're doing good, Aaron, right? I'm doing good. I'm a little uh, defensive with Albert and Casey. In the well, that's, that's normal. That speaks mm-hmm. more about you than me, though. Preach. That does it. Yeah, if we just walked in and just started it right away, it would have been yeah, a lot easier. But probably you know, this is the banter that yeah. always happens. Yeah, right. And I think you mentioned before, if we ever had all of us in the same room, it'd be like herding cats. So uh, it would be. <laughs> but was, I'm not the one in charge today, Toby. You are. That's so right. You get to herd the cats. Yeah. So if you hear any large, loud noises, smacks, bangs, you know, me. I'm just herding the cats <laughs> for air. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Well, let's get rolling. Uh, Aaron, um, to start, uh, just, you know, give us a little background on your childhood and growing up. What was that like? And who were some, uh, key, uh, key figures in your, in your life that, that, uh, were important to you or, or maybe even, uh, wounded you? Yeah. Thank you. So my first memories are in Texas. My dad planted a church right out of, uh, right out of seminary and, uh, he planted it in Flower Mound, Texas at a YMCA. And so I have lots of memories helping my dad set up chairs. I was like three years old, so it wasn't much help. But uh, I remember setting up chairs and I remember we would go to this land that was completely empty that my dad had bought for the future congregation. Right. And so uh, we would go there and we'd walk around and I'd imagine my dad was praying. I don't know what he was doing exactly. I was just walking with him. Um, and I remember one time we were driving through this forested area and uh, we're in this really small like Ford Ranger or maybe it was a Toyota with a pickup truck, small right. pickup truck. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't in a car seat. I was just buckled into the normal bench seat. That's the way to do it. Yeah. I mean, we're we talking like, uh, I don't know, 80 something here, like 88 maybe. <laughs> 87 yeah i graduated high school then that's yeah it's cool right it's cool (laughs) and my dad gets pulled over and um he was very not happy and i made sure the cop understood that my dad was not happy that he pulled him over (laughs) and i guess that was really embarrassing oh wow (laughs) but no i had a great childhood i mean it was really fun uh it was different because i grew up in the city of chicago so all of you guys talk about kind of more country or city but not really city like i grew up in the city of chicago so at four years old we moved to chicago illinois and my address was chicago so a lot of people live in chicago and they don't live in the city they live in the suburbs how close to downtown were you well that all depends because uh yeah funny looks on that right because we don't talk about it the way y'all talk about it because you guys talk about it like miles we talk in time in chicago right so normally you're like 45 minutes from downtown Denver. No, no, no. Chicago. Oh, you are. What? What? <laughs> I'm talking about how we talk about time yeah, in yeah. Chicago. Yeah. We, yeah. we, we, like how oh, far yeah. away? Just away. as an example. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So like, well, gosh, Denver's 45 minutes from our house. Like right now. Yeah, exactly. But like I was much closer to Chicago. Right. Than we are to Denver. Yeah. It just like, took about the same amount of time because of traffic. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I mean, you know, in Denver, you drive like 80 the whole way to the city mm-hmm. in, well, Ch- you know, yeah. roughly, yeah. right? In, uh, in, uh, in Chicago, you're going like there? 15, 10, 15 miles an hour. Yeah. And there's lots of stop and go 
and right. you know it's eight lanes wide and depending, depending on the day right yeah and well time, time yeah so we were close we were in the city we were in the city of chicago yeah. and um i mean my playground was a parking lot so the only grass i saw was like a little patch in my backyard so we played a lot in the parking lot a lot in the alley a lot in the gym yeah so that's a lot of it and then my whole life was just church right you know like from every four? From four? Oh no, from when I was born. Like I was born um and the same year my dad graduated. So I was born in February and my dad graduated in like Ooh. my dad graduated in May. Okay. So and what, then he so planted at what a point church. In this timeline. Okay, so it was Yeah, he went right from seminary to planting so, a church. So you weren't even like a year old when you were in Texas, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. And yeah. how long were you in Texas for? Uh four years. Four years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And then my my well, it's my dad's story, but my dad had a really sad experience where the church he planted actually voted him out as pastor, right? Which was extremely wounding and hard. I don't remember a lot of that hard part. I just remember moving and moving boxes and yeah, back to Chicago. Yeah, right. Which I had never lived there before. Right. I'd only lived in Texas. Right. Yeah. So, well, like I guess I'd partially lived in Ohio. That's where I was born. Oh, okay. My dad went to seminary there. Yeah. All right. So, but but then my dad was at uh, the Chicago church for 25 years before he retired there. So I spent like the majority of my life is in Chicago. Chicago. Absolutely. Yeah. Like in the city yeah. at the same church with the same people, which is all really good. And the reason why that was so good is because they felt like family, like fully felt like family. Right. You know, so like I knew the same people for 12, 13 years. And so there's certainly people come and go five, six years in a church and then they leave and we stay. But there were, a, you know, a group of us that were there for 14 years together. We, I grew up with them. Yeah. They were literally like aunts and uncles. The church or yeah. yeah. And that's what I'm excited about with Bo is that you guys will be yeah. around, Bo you know, for, you know, 20 more years and or more, you know, Boaz, however long we're alive. Boaz is Aaron's boy. Yes. That's my son. And he's how many months now? He's four and a half. Yeah, I'm like 600 and some odd months old. Are you? Wow. Yeah. You're looking good for that old. I feel good. I feel yeah. good. Your voice sounds so, I so young. I sound like 400 months. I can't even believe really. how young you sound. Like 300. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So I do want to invite Casey and Albert to uh, to jump in. Uh, what are some questions you want to know about Aaron and his childhood? Yes. So how, how old were you when Andrew was born? I was three and a half. Andrew was born in Texas. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question was, do you have memories of being an only child? Kind of. Cause well, I have memories of Andrew being born. Like I remember my dad came home and told me that I had a brother and that we were going to go to the store and that I, I should get him a gift. And <laughs> So I got him like a little green dragon and I, <laughs> I gave it to him as a gift. And then after like a week, I was really pissed off that he was taking all the attention away from me. And so I remember telling my parents that you could take him back now. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that I was not happy that I had a brother. I mean, I love Andrew now, of course. Right. Yeah. But like at the time I was like a three year old kid or three and a half year old kid. And I was like, this sucks. He's taking all the time away from me. You know, <laughs> mom and dad are playing with me anymore. Yeah. So the other, the only other memory I really have of Andrew, besides sleeping in the same room with him, I remember I, I had to be extra quiet. I was told to be extra quiet because Andrew was in the room with me. Is I don't know what exactly happened, but I remember in my little brain thinking that Andrew was really dirty and he needed to be cleaned. And so I got Windex. And I sprayed it all over his face. And my mom and dad did not think that that was a good idea and promptly took him, took him to the emergency room. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess, I guess to answer your question, no, I don't distinctly remember being an only child. Like I don't have like any necessarily good or bad memories of, you know, just me. I guess knowing you and Andrew, I thought you were a little bit older than Andrew. Nah, not that three, far three apart. Years, yeah. Yeah. Not that far apart. Albert, what you got, man? Oh boy. Where to begin? No, my question, my first question to you would be, I shared my, cause I grew up in the church too. right? Yeah. My thing would be when, like, what was that like for you? And 
because for me it was cool up until the age of 10. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then I went through my own things. How did you like growing up in the church? How did you see it and feel? Yeah, I think like you, it's a complicated environment. And when your dad's the pastor, it's even more complicated. Um, I really enjoyed having a church family. And I, I remember before the age of 10 realizing that not everything that I see is real. <laughs> like I'm going to birthday parties at age six and seven that I'm invited to by the parents and not the kids. You know what I mean? And I'm treated at these parties very well by the parents, VIP but the kids the ignores kid. the kids ignore me. Yeah. Right? Because the kids don't even want me there because we weren't really that good of friends, which is fine. I don't need to be good friends with them. Yeah. Right? But the parents were like, well, we got to make sure, you know, Pastor Doug, you know, thinks we're cool. So we're going to invite his kid. You know what I mean? So to some degree, I, be, I, get, on and I get used like a pawn. You know, and I kind I figured that out pretty young. Like I can remember being seven, being like, "Why am I here? <laughs> like I don't even know this kid." You know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. I feel this. I'm not offended necessarily yeah. by this, yeah. but I'm like, I don't really know this guy, and yet I go there, and you know, they're giving me a present. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're giving me a gift. Like, hey, I'm so glad you came here. It's this little toy, and I'm like, tell your dad. Uh, yeah, literally. <laughs> it's, I mean, I did. You know, I'm not quite fully putting it together, no, but yeah, I know yeah, that yeah. something's not right. So, yeah, I mean, I think our experiences were very similar in that there's beauty of family, but then there's also, like, make your dad look good. When you said that, that, that was my whole story. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, um, that's my whole goal as a kid. And I actually had a massive crisis in my life, if we want to progress the story, uh, in college. When I left for college, I basically lost my identity. Because uh, my whole identity was to be the pastor's kid and to make my dad look good. And everyone in the church knew me, knew I was the pastor's kid. And I had a reputation with them. I had authority with them. I had, um, yeah, I mean, I had rapport. And then you go to college and nobody cares. And nobody cares about you. And nobody. Away, away to college. Yeah, I went, I went to Bethel College in South Bend, Indiana. Okay. which is like two hours away. So nobody cares about you. You don't have a home church. So you go to church and you don't know anybody. So how do you find a church? Like I'd never found a church in my life. I don't know how to find a church. Like it's the only, I don't even think about it, but like at the time, like how do you find a church? I don't know. My dad was always a pastor. I don't, oh, I didn't. That's crazy. Like what, I what never, is that even like? Like you go, right. Like, like at, you eight, at 18, you go to college, right? Yeah. 18 ish. Mm-hmm. And you you have this identity on this on this is mm -hmm. done yeah and then you move two hours away mm -hmm. what is it like what is that's just trips me like I just said like I lost my identity I had a huge it was a massive crisis mm -hmm. and I lost like who I was and what made me gave me value because I had bought this lie and the lie was that there was life in making my dad look good. Yeah, like, and you worked really hard at that. Oh, you I bought it hook, line, and, and sinker. And yeah, and you you kind of played that role. Would you say you played that? Absolutely, role? I played that role. Yeah, like I was debating deacons, right, and elders since I was thirteen years old on things like predestination and free will, and I was reading commentaries and I was listening to sermon series and and analyzing sermons and breaking them down and. Like all these different things since right. I was like a young kid. And th there was value in those conversations at the time for yeah. you. Yeah. Right? But, but all these adults were treating me like my dad. Like I had to, yeah. I had to have, they expected me to have a seminary knowledge at, right. at the age of 13. Yeah. And if I didn't, this is where the wound comes in. Uh, there was one time in Sunday school when I was about, you know, 12, 13. Yeah. 10. Yeah. 12 to 13. And uh, I'm in uh, men's Sunday school, and the teacher asks a question, and I didn't know the answer to it. And I said, I don't know. I don't know what that is. And he looked at me, and he said, what is your dad teaching you? Mm. And I played it off. Well, you know, obviously nothing, you know, or something, yeah. some kind of quick comment to get the attention off me. But that cut deep yeah. because I had failed my dad. I had, I had caused, or so I believed, 
someone in the church to question my dad's parenting, which then made them think that my dad wasn't worth trusting. You know, so all of the, I, I began to realize that like how I acted, what I said, what they saw reflected on the legitimacy of my father and how well they would trust or not trust him. And so then I began to live differently. And that's the way you can just say I began to pose because I can't be perfect. And yet perfection was required to some degree. Yeah. So when that uh, congregational member, that, yeah. that Sunday school teacher said mm-hmm. that, um, yeah. what was the message that you received at that point? Oh, you, you're a failure. You're a failure. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you failed your family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you make an agreement around that? Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, I vowed it would never happen again. Right. So you even had to work harder. Yep. To withhold or, or you know, keep that, uh, that, um, I had to work harder to play the role. Yeah. Play That's the right. role. Keep that That's role right. entirely. Of, yeah, yeah. Protecting your dad, basically, you know, in a yeah. way. Um, that's, that's gotta be rough as a kid. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think like all of us, but yeah, I, it's I, rough. It's rough. See, and I know, I know, I know you. Yeah, you so do. I, I know that, uh, it was probably, it's definitely, it was definitely a challenge, right? Yeah. And, and I think you thrive when there's a challenge in front of you. That's also true. I do. So, uh, I do thrive when there's a challenge. Because you've told us in the past that you've bulldozed, you know, you know, yeah. and so, so it's, it, it can be very important. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's probably, that could have been like the beginning of that whole, the bulldozing thing. That you yeah. And about, that, right? those are character traits of, you know, like my grandfather and you know, my mom so has some, some learn, of that. Some learned behavior there. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. generational stuff. Generational yeah, for stuff. Sure. sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, no doubt. I mean, no doubt the, well, I mean, like letting your dad down is a big deal. Like for any man and woman, you know, like it's a, it's a big deal not to let your dad down. Like we all want to make our dads proud. And so like, I just had a different arena than other people. Like, you know, Casey, like your dad owned a, owned a business, but you didn't have to perform three times a week to make your dad look good at the business. Right. I like just, that's just the only difference between like a normal job and like a pastor's kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just got people ask me all the time. How, how come you uh, didn't go into the family business? Yeah. Uh, that, well, that's and, an and, issue. Yeah. And I just tell them I didn't like it and mm-hmm. they drop it. Right. But right. Really different in the church arena. It, exactly. I've, I've seen it happen at churches where, you know, our, our senior pastor's kids, oh, you guys aren't going to seminary? And they're like, no, why not? We don't like it. Oh, you don't like the church? No, I just don't want to work <laughs> at it all the time. Right. <laughs> so I, I had a much easier out than I'm sure you did. Do you think that if you would have misbehaved that people would have thought your dad wasn't a good businessman? No. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, that's the thing about the church, right? Like, like I say I don't know the answer, and, like, somebody thinks my dad's not a good pastor. Yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah. That's a really Throws big a jump. <laughs> right? Like, that's a really big jump. Man. That's not even fair. Like, that's the thing. Like, as an adult, I look back and I go, this is crazy that this even happens like this. Like, so there's crazy. nothing fair about that assessment. Like, yeah. I'm a 12-year-old kid, and I didn't know the answer to your dumb Sunday school question. Like, big whoop. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But the assessment was, well, you didn't know the answer to that, so your dad must be failing you at home, which isn't even close to true, no. not even close to true, and yet that's that's what gets portrayed. So then I got to go like, oh, man, I really got to be careful. So I did, oh, I guess I'll just share this stuff because, yeah, you know, yeah, it is. It's your story. Like, <laughs> I did crazy things in this wound. Like, I began to study trivia books, like Bible trivia books. I'd, re- I'd buy them, and I would just read them, and Honestly, I didn't give a rip what was in there in the sense of like for my soul or for like my faith. What I cared about was never letting my dad down again because that just was like brutal. Like it was really hard for yeah. me to be like, you know, I'm the oldest child also. Right. So that carries some kind of a weight, like, right. you know, with yeah. the family legacy and, and like a, all that kind of stuff. That's a good segue into what I was thinking about yeah. next is, is uh, you were exposed to Jesus most of your life, right? Yeah, you know, my whole life. Very yeah. young age, right? I mean, day one, basically. Yeah. And uh, so uh, when the, when was the earliest memory of you really sensing and feeling Jesus' presence with you? That God moment? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, where it just I remember just came into your heart and just rocked you. That's probably, man, that's interesting. I remember, I'll answer that like a number of ways. Okay. Um, so like I remember accepting Christ at four years old. And that was legitimate. Like that wasn't performance. Like I didn't yeah. feel like I had to. Yeah, you, you wanted know? that. Uh, but, you know, a God moment that rocked me at four. I don't, not probably yeah, not yeah. true. But uh, aware that I can make a choice on my own that Jesus is the king and that I want to follow him. Absolutely. I remember that was legit. Sure. Um, and then... I got baptized when I was 10 and I wanted to get baptized because I wanted to follow Jesus's commandments. So that was also completely, but then I think probably sometime in like, as far as like experiencing the Holy spirit and feeling him and that whole, like God rocked you experience, I would say junior high, high school. Okay. Those were areas. Those were times when that happened. Is there a specific moment during that time that you can remember? Oh, it's kind of a weird story. I got a lot of weird stories. Sorry, <laughs> I, preface, I preface my weird stories. So I'm at Bible camp in Iowa, which is where we went. We went to this Bible camp like five times a year. It was like seven hours away. And uh, I don't know what camp it was. It was the spring, so probably like a father-son camp. And I was out doing a prayer time, and I climbed up onto the roof of like a pool house. Mm -hmm. And I was laying up there praying, and I was pondering this idea that we could name animals and that we had authority over creation. Right. And a bee was by me, like flying by me. And I put my hand out and I said, father, I want this bee to land on my hand. And it did. And I said, father, will you make that bee turn around so I can see its face? And it turned around. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, nobody's going to believe me. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm actually, like, I have authority over creation in Jesus, you know? Like, and that that's was, like, awesome. one of those, like, rock you kind of, like, yeah. that's amazing. And I was like, okay, you can leave now, B. And it literally flew off in that moment. It was, like, just kind of, like, one of those, like, wow, authority in Jesus is real. You know, kind of a yeah. thing, like, it really is so real. Why is that a weird story? I don't know because I, I was talking to a bee. Like, you know? No, no, it's <laughs> cool though. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It was really powerful to be. Yeah, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's like when uh, I, was, I don't want to go off a tangent, but you know, we had that that one weekend where we we're giving a talk. Someone was talking, and the hummingbird came in, flew in the doors. We had the doors right. open up in the mountains, and the, yes, the hummingbird came. That, in. that literally is the same kind of story. So we yeah. had I had been pondering one of John Eldridge's books. And he talks about how God gives him hearts. And so right. when he's on walks, he'll see hearts in the soil or hearts, sure. you know, just like in nature, he'll, like in, in leaves and in bark and, you know, just randomly. And when he sees a heart, it reminds him of God's heart for him. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I was asking Jesus around that time, God, what do you give me? And he said, hummingbirds. And so we were really struggling that weekend. Like we yeah. were struggling to get going. We were having right. a hard time. We were experiencing a lot of warfare that we were like on the edge of discouragement in a lot of ways. Like at least I don't know if y'all were, but I was. Yeah. And then a hummingbird flies in the room and the immediate thing that, that was spoke to my heart is I'm here. Yeah. I'm with you. Almost like the Emmanuel, yeah. right? God yeah. with us. God like with I'm us. in the yeah. room with you, you know? And it was just, it just shifted the whole spirit of the place in a lot of ways, Absolutely, not the hummingbird, yeah. but the reminder of God, yeah. you know, through the hummingbird. Right. And that's the same kind of concept that I was talking about with the bee. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Way, way cool. Yeah. And I, I feel the same way about hummingbirds. It wasn't, you know, I, I didn't ask for that, you know, same direction, but, got it, uh, got it. but, uh, when I see one, it, it does remind me of God's presence yes. in my life. And, and even though, um, sometimes I don't, I don't see him because I'm not paying attention. Mm. Right. You know, right. But then when I do start paying attention, there he is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that's awesome. So, um, let's get back to like college. Yeah. What was called the college years for you? Like, oh man, I mean, they were a train wreck. Yeah. Okay. They were, yeah, man. Sure. It was go rough. With that. So <laughs> go ahead. 18, you go off to college. Yeah. Identity crisis. Yeah. You lose everything you've known. Yeah. We get, where do you tip? Like, how do you start getting out of that? Yeah. Well, we got to back up just a, just a smidge to, um, 17 and a half. 
Well, we have to go back to about 16 okay. when uh, between freshman and junior year of high school, that's where that, that's a very important summer for me. Okay. Uh, the Baptist church I went to, North American Baptist Association, uh, NAB, had a every three year conference called the Triennial Conference. And at this conference, at this particular conference, Francis Chan gave a 10 part series on the holiness of God. This is before Francis Chan was like Francis, Francis Chan. Chan. Right. right. <laughs> this is like, I don't know, like 2000-ish, right? Uh, yeah, 2000. So, um, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, that rocked me. Because my freshman year of high school, I was like doing all I could to play that very hazy line between secular and Christian. Mm-hmm. I wanted to date every girl I could without doing anything actually like past kissing because we know how bad that is. And yet I didn't want to be like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm going to go to Bible club. You know what I mean? And then be like labeled a loser. Right. You know? Yeah. So um, I wasn't all in on my faith at school, but then I had to play that role at, at church. Right. For sure. So I was definitely living like this dichotomous life in a lot of ways. Go ahead, buddy. Would you call that a rebellion? Uh, my, my question for you is, did you ever have a rebellion from the church since you were immersed in it so much as a, as a child? It, it doesn't look like a rebellion to the world, but in my heart, my rebellion always came out in sports. Okay. I'm a very competitive person, and I play very hard when I play. And I loved football, and I messed some people up. Because I was going to rebel and it was socially acceptable to rebel on the football field. Right. Right. So like I knocked it. I was playing varsity as a sophomore because I just got in. I just went crazy because that was the only place in my world where I didn't have to finesse. Yeah. So some 120 pound kid's going to get nailed. Oh, and if he's (laughs) not getting up, then I did my job. Yeah. You know, like I'm just going to rock him. Middle linebacker, bring it, you know. And all my anger and all of my everything, you know, I'm just going to let it all out on the field. So that would be where my rebellion was. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And then uh, when I got to college, it got way worse. Um, But we're getting there. So that summer, Francis Chan, uh, holiness of God rocks me. Like that would be another God moment. Like, oh my gosh, this guy is just awesome. And this talk is just so solid. And my heart really was for God but I wasn't being taught well how to navigate in the world, but not of the world. Right. That was right. not well taught. And Francis did a great job yeah. of what that looked like. He did such a good job. And so I chose all in for God. On top of that, I got diagnosed with ADHD and put on Adderall. And so I enter school in the fall with Adderall and a new dedication to Jesus that I'm not going to be hanging with the old crowd, caring about the old things, right? So I, I, get, I start to get bullied. I start to not have as many friends, but I'm getting straight A's because I'm on Adderall and all I can do is study because <laughs> Adderall absolutely took away my personality in a lot of ways. Right. It just basically made me a bit of a robot, um, which is not great. I ended up stopping Adderall. Um, but I left. I left that school and I went to a new school that was 45 minutes away from my house called Walter and I met my wife. And so this is a big deal, right? Junior year, Jess and I meet, I'm jogging around the gym. She's in the stands. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. Hey. Right. You're, you're just randomly <laughs> jogging around the gym. No, it was gym class. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, then oh, I realized gym class, but <laughs> 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 this and, is how we go sometimes. <laughs> this could go off rails. It could. Okay. It really could. So back to you. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So then I realized she's in homeroom with me, and uh, I start throwing pencils at her and all kinds of ways to get her attention. And, and she, she uh, told this story in one of the earlier podcasts. Yeah, yeah, she I, did. She did. I remember having to pause the podcast because I was laughing so hard I couldn't hear what they were talking about. I was like, this dude's just, I like you. I'm going to throw all my pencils at you. <laughs> <laughs> Not write her a note or right, something. Right, right. No, no, no. At her, right. You know. yeah, just, get, just get her attention. That's all you got to do. Just get her attention. <laughs> um, so 
Uh, so yeah, we start dating and, uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. So basically I make my decision in a lot of ways, uh, to go to the college I went to because of where Jess was going to go to college. Mm. Right. So that, that's why I wanted to say that. Um, the other factor was that because of my aggressive play in football, um, I ended up dislocating my shoulder three times. So it wouldn't stay in the socket my junior year, having to have surgery, and deciding not to play football my senior year. So that factors as well because I had thought for a long time that I was going to play college football like my dad. But then I decided not to, and the school I went to didn't even have college football. So that then leads to your question, right, about uh, what those years were like. So I lost everything, right, with my identity in the church. And at the same time, Jess was trying to figure out what she wants to do. I don't really know entirely. I've asked her a few times and she's been really vague about it, but like, I was trying to figure out like, what are you, what were you trying to do in college? Yes. Cause she was pushing me away a lot. And I was, yeah, uh, at her. I was being a, I was being a clinger, you know, like you ain't going nowhere, you know? And uh, <laughs> I'm all out of pencils. Yeah, you're, all, you're all I got, girl. Like, I got nothing. He like, you're all I got. To like yeah. markers and yeah. sharpies. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps sharpie coming at your head. Yeah. Sidewalk chalk. Oh, like you know. sidewalk chalk. <laughs> so there's this whole thing going on between Jess and I where, like, you know, I'm trying to go steady with her and she's kind of giving me the, uh, the old shove. And uh, so that's just hard as well so that goes on for like two years and then what tips that process over to the negative is my junior year my grandmother dies i talk a little bit about this with with andrew and so i'm already struggling with school i'm already struggling with where do i fit in i really don't have any friends at college uh which really is really kind of depressing because my mom and dad kept telling me my whole life how great college was and i just hated college and, um, so my grandmother dies and I don't know how to deal with the grief. And so then I go to pornography and I mean, massive addiction with pornography multiple times a day, all kinds of things like that, like really, really problematic. Mm-hmm. And that semester of 2005, spring 2005, my GPA is 0.6. Like it's a, it's a problem. And this is where the tipping point comes in. I decide to join the army and think ROTC, maybe, you know, finish out my college career with ROTC. It'll be cool. Reserves, the whole nine, whatever, you know, start a career there. So I go to basic training and the problem quite literally unknown to me compounds because now I know nobody, right? I don't even have Jess. I don't even have the Christian community. I got nothing. I got a drill sergeant in my face telling me I'm a piece of crap, telling me to get on the ground, and I have no friends. And I can't make a phone call. I can't call anybody. I got no tech. I got nothing. You're just stripped of everything. But that what is you, certainly a, a lonely time. Yeah. In, in that for me is bottom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I recall that from the Navy when I went to boot camp in the Navy and having 88 guys around you, but feeling like you're so alone. Yeah. You know, even though they're all in the same situation that mm-hmm. you are and, you know, camaraderie. Yeah, there was built, but there was no comfort in people being around you. No, yeah. huh? <laughs> not you for me. Tr- I couldn't trust anybody. No, at that point. No, absolutely not. But there's one person. Jesus. There's Jesus. That's right. Yeah, there's Jesus. And um, that's where Jesus rescued my heart. That's absolutely where he rescued my heart. And I said, well, I got nobody else but you. And. Uh, I want you and I know you're real and uh, went back on all the things that I had done in many ways for show for the church. I began to relook at those of how can those bring life to me? How can this be a personal relationship with me and Jesus? And um, I mean, there were a lot of hikes at Fort Knox that were in the middle of the night. You know, you're just walking in a line, just marching and I'm just praying. Yeah. It's me and Jesus talking in the middle of the night because there's nothing else to do, you know? And um, that's where Jesus, I think, in a lot of ways saved my soul. And I count this ministry started that day. Right. That's what I believe. And that's my experience is that 
if Jesus doesn't rescue me with the military, then none of this happens because he stripped everything away and made sure that he was the rock that this whole thing was built on. And everything comes out of that. Everything right. comes out of that rock, that, that stripping away of everything else. All the other identities were taken away, burned away all the other, you know, everything. Right. It's kind of the point where you turned off your will. Totally. And went to his. Well, and that's why it's kind of crazy. Cause like, yeah, like you have a choice. <laughs> well, I know. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, but that, that says that's more true. about me, right. About how willful yeah. and strong willed I am. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. I had nothing. Right. And there was no out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, the, if you tried to get it out, you're going to jail. So there's no out. Yeah. Um, and then this really, so that was a very uh, powerful nine weeks where I came out of that super strong, super fit, super healthy, um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, um, I needed that. I absolutely needed that. And, um, come out of that and it's like a whole new world, right? I mean, Jess and I's relationship is now healthy. Porn addiction is completely gone. hundred percent. Did you have to do work around that or did I, that, I've done that? a ton of work around that since then. Right. Um, but I mean, there's nothing to, nothing to even look at when you're in the barracks. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, it kind of gets stripped away and so, right. Yeah. And like, you have no time to even do anything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you wake up at four in the morning oh, yeah. and you go run and then like till 9 PM, you're literally active. Like there's no time to do anything. And so in a lot of ways, it was a sexual cleanse. Like a lot of like uh, sure. addiction people would say you should take like a six week fast, six to nine week fast, right, sexual right. fast. Well, I was forced to do that. Whether I mean, I wanted to when I got there, but like, yeah, whether I wanted to or not, it was pretty much forced, you know. Yeah. And um, so that was great. Um, yeah. So that's where this all started. That's the tipping point, Albert. That's the answer to your question is it all tips from there. So I graduated basic training July 29th, 2005. Mm -hmm. And I was married to Jess July 29th, 2006. And somehow God orchestrated getting me out of the military against my will in a lot of ways, but getting me out of the military, um, by saying that I had skipped my training and I got a, um, discharge i forget the name of it like just unconditional unconditional yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that yeah so it's like a like a no like a no, no harm but you discharge. didn't purposely no skip the no yeah, i was supposed that. to yeah. yeah so i was supposed to do split ops so i was supposed to do uh basic one summer and my training the next summer because i was a reservist so right. i you know that was kind of my commitment and and you were still in college and i was still in college so right. it was part of the rotc thing, that's right, right? absolutely yeah. right and i was going to do rotc through notre dame okay university yeah um, cause they had an awesome ROTC program. Right. And we were like, I don't know, 10 minutes away at our, at our college. And, uh, yeah. So they, they, they messed up their paperwork and said I was supposed to do back to back, which I wasn't. And that was like at, at graduation or what, or soon after. Right? Yeah. Like I found like, out like two weeks before that, uh, they had me down for going right after basic. And I said, that's not right. I'm a split ops guy. I'm like, okay, we'll get it fixed. Well, they, they apparently they didn't. But they also didn't call me. They also didn't email me. They also didn't reach out to me in any way, shape, or form. In February of, uh, you know, six months later, I got all my paperwork, like a big stack of papers that were just like, hey, you're out. I'm in like, the mail? Yeah, just, literally. Here's your discharge. Yeah, and all your, all your like, papers. I was yeah. like, holy cow. So I called them, and Jess asked me not to join again. Like, I could have got, gone in and just re-signed a few papers and been back in. And Jess asked me not to do that, and I said, okay. That was it. And yeah, I mean, worked at golf courses and continued learning about Jesus more and heart postures more and just building and building and building and building. And eventually I did graduate uh, college, went to seminary, and then Redemption Road starts. Yeah. Bum, yeah. Bum. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned heart posture there. And, I, yeah. and that's one of my favorite favorite terms. And, yeah. Uh, because I often think about my own heart posture when I have to handle certain situations. Yes. Or, you know, um, just on the weekends, you know, staff yeah. on weekends, um, being in the right heart posture. So I want to, I want to know a little bit more about your heart, about redemption road yeah. and the weekends and, and the life that that brings. Just share, share some, some of your heart with that. Well, part of what's behind redemption road is all the learning that God has brought me through over all the years of life. 
And I find that a lot of us live so fast and so plugged into so many things that poison us Yeah, that I wanted to find a way. Well, my heart was, how do we find a way to help men unplug and actually get enough quiet in their life to hear Jesus? And so that's a lot of what's behind Redemption Road. Going to church and hearing sermons are fine, right? That's all good. But in a lot of ways, it doesn't matter because what really matters is if we live a sermon, right? If we live what the Bible teaches, yeah. yep. if we don't live Living it, then practice. what good is it? It's about living it, yep. right? Like that, that really is the heart, like at the, mm-hmm. the, the guts of Redemption Road, right? Is I spend my whole life posing, yeah, right? Trying to make my dad look good, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, that's not life, right? Yeah. That's posing. That's faking it. That's. Yeah. And we will you know, have another podcast on posing. We will. Too, yeah. So. Um, but that's not, that's not where Jesus is. That's not where he meets you. He never hear him encourage, even close to encourage any of the disciples to pose. In fact, when the Pharisees come after Jesus because they're, his disciples aren't posing, right. he, he comes back at him. Well, what good is washing your hands? What good is if he's to wash the uh, outside of the bowl if the inside's dirty? Right. Yeah, it's right. just like those the, kind of comments. It's like the fasting we've, right. we've been talking That's about. Right. Prayer That's and right. fasting and, and, and the people, you know, making creating their making their face look like it was <laughs> right. you know, like, oh, I have been yeah. fasting. Right. You know, look at me, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All pious. Yeah. Right. Very, very pious. Yeah. When you have a bad heart, right? It's all about the heart. It's Albert, all about the Albert heart. can't make that face. Oh boy. It's a little too round. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's gonna be going on three months of the fast. So we're gonna be like, yo, you started yet? <laughs> Oh, but well, man, that's messed up. <laughs> sorry, so now sorry. Albert's got another wound to work on. Sorry, right. buddy. Job no. security. Clearing. One, <laughs> one thing that I've noticed about Redemption Road is that um, you, you've helped cultivate a place where Jesus can break the routine. Yeah. And it's not until you break the bad routine that you can begin the good routine. Yeah, that's true. And just some, something about how you said, I'm trying to make a place where guys can unplug long enough to hear Jesus. Yeah. That I remember my first weekend where I did, you know, unplug, slow down, hear Jesus, and everything's been different since. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, that, and for me, I'm just trying to give a glimpse of what Jesus gave me. He, I had to have nine weeks. I was clearly thick-headed and not as bright as you Casey because three days wasn't enough you know I had I mean nine weeks is what I needed and so uh everyone tries to imitate me but I mean (laughs) he's humble too right (laughs) (laughs) so humble so humble probably the most humble here right I I, I believe it's the humblest oh my gosh yeah it's awesome so (laughs) so what on the weekends you know I mean especially like level one weekends yeah you know uh, one of the questions we have is, you know, what, what's your big want? Mm. So what would you say your want now, right now at this stage of, uh, where we're at in redemption road, um, how our weekly, um, men's group we call road trip yeah. is going and, and you got your son, mm-hmm. you know, and your wife and the house here in Colorado. Yeah. And, and, uh, so what's your, what's your big want now? What, what keeps you so, I mean, it's obviously Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, you keep going for Jesus. Yeah. You know, we always keep going for Jesus, but, but outside the Sunday school answer, I really, 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 really want the kingdom to break through in this world. Oh, in a major way. Right. Yes. And Especially that, and, now, and right? I don't even know if people who under who hear me say that even understand what that means. Right. Because they're so caught up in church and church culture. Right. If you're caught up in church culture and you've gone to church your whole life, you don't even understand what I'm talking about right now. You haven't experienced, sadly, the kingdom. The kingdom. Right? The King, warfare that comes when you actually right. partner with Jesus and get after the demonic. Absolutely. Right? And if I sound crazy, I sound crazy. Well, and, right? and heal. Right? But there's all kinds of inner healing that comes. There's all kinds of um, demonic agreements that we can break that re- release more healing there are kingdoms that people own right now, right? That they're not managing well because they're running them. They're not letting yeah. Jesus run them. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I did like 15, 17 years of, of ministry. Yeah. And I, and I, 
didn't experience the freedom yeah after the healing and you know i mean uh, until I, I i went on redemption road yeah and i i slowed down enough as you said um and really allowed jesus in when yeah. i was in seminary uh one of the things that i read when i was doing some of my daily devotions was jesus said my yoke is easy and my burden is light and i was thinking about that and i was thinking about my story and i in, in my prayer time i kind of looked jesus in the eye kind of in my mind and i said bullshit right yeah. cuz that is not my experience my experience is I have to not curse. I have to not, I have to not do this. I have to not do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't, you know, have sex before I'm married. I can't do it. I can't do anything. Yeah. The burden is crushing me. Right. I have to be perfect. I got to walk this line. Be perfect as I am perfect. That's what it says, right? Nah, that's yeah, not what that's it says. Not what it is. That is not <laughs> what it says. It says be holy as I am holy. Right. That means set apart. Uh -huh. That doesn't mean perfect. It means different than the world. Yeah. Right? Like the Israelites were supposed to be different than the world around them. They were a set apart people for God. Yeah. That's what conform. we're supposed to be. Do not set conform. apart. Right? And so, like, that is what drives me. And I, I, I feel very secure in saying this. If it's me and Bo and Jess and my dog Kane and we're living under a bridge, I will have the same vision and the same mission that I have with this beautiful house yep. and our beautiful company yeah. and all you guys. Right. Right. Like my mission wouldn't change. Yeah. I wouldn't do anything different. Yeah. Right. Expand the kingdom. And none of this here means anything to yeah. me. It's just a resource that God has given me to be able to use to expand his kingdom further. Right. Outside of that, it's literally worthless. Right. Because how much can we do? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. And, and I view my life as a, say I live till I'm 85, an 85 year interview for what my job is going to be in heaven. Right. Because I get to live for eternity in the kingdom. In the kingdom. Right? With that, the that, king. That's what I get to do. <laughs> and, and, and there's many, many, many parables of, here's a talent. You made it into five or you made it into 10. And Jesus says to that person, well done. Here's 10 cities. Wow. So that's what we get to do in the, in, in the, in the coming kingdom. Yeah. Is if you're, if you're faithful with a little, he's going to give you a lot. Right. And you're going you're gonna to be able to know if you're faithful with a little by what you did for the kingdom here on earth. This is your interview. Right. This is my interview. And I'm going to do my best to serve my king well. I once lived for my dad, but I was living for the wrong dad. Wrong dad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was living for the wrong dad. Mm -hmm. And now I'm not. And so I'm jacked. Not that you, As you can mean, hear it in my tone. You love your dad. but No, no, yeah. no. Yeah, I know. But, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I love my dad. Of course, my dad and yeah, I were absolutely. besties. In fact, yeah, there's yeah. not much a greater honor than serving with my dad in ministry on a new mission because he's come out of the church oh, as absolutely. well. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's awesome. you know, the church being not the bride, not the bride church, but the, yeah. you know, the broken part of church. So who else? What else we got? I haven't even made it to Casey's time yet. So we definitely still have no, time. That, that's good. Should, Is that good? Yeah. Should we wrap it up? <laughs> so I, I have another question for you. Yeah, you Toby. Know. Talk to me. Um, so Toby, that's Casey. What? He said, tell me, not Toby. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Go ahead, Case. So how how is it having your whole family be a part of this vision? Because we've heard your mom, your dad, yeah. your aunt, your brother, yeah. your wife uh -huh. all be on this podcast. Yeah. And I think everybody in this room has been on a weekend. I, I know everybody in this room has been on a weekend with your dad and brother. Mm -hmm. yep. Albert and I have been on a weekend with your mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the marriage weekend. The marriage weekend. Yeah. Well, and the level two. Oh, when, right. when, when she was. Yeah, she kind of came out to relax. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that that's something that I've always, I, I don't want to say envy, but I've always just seen that and just been, no, I'll, I'll admit I'm jealous. Yeah, seeing well, your, it's a desire. Your, it's yeah, a desire. It, it, of your it's heart, a desire right? in my heart that your mm. family to be able same to way. see. Yeah, same. Yeah, and so tell tell me what that's like. Is it is it difficult, or have there been hard times, or do you guys, for the most part, share the vision and walk in lockstep? Because from the outside, I would say we all see you guys walking in lockstep. Yeah, for but, the most part. Right. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think it's hard because I don't really know much different, right? Like I just shared the story of like making my dad look good my whole life. Right. So like doing ministry with my dad isn't much different in the sense of like we're, we're in the, we're doing ministry and we're together now, how we do it, the mission we're on, our heart postures, all different. Right. Uh, I think the hardest part for me is leading my dad. Right. Dad's awkward. Cause you grew up following. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, um, now dad, absolutely. I listen to my dad and I'm humble and you know, yeah, I mean, there's no arrogance there at all, but like if we disagree and I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure Jesus is taking me this way. Like we're going to go the way Jesus tells me. Right. Um, and well, there's still some things that my dad, um, has from the church that I, I think are different than where I'm at. Right. Like, um, like just traditional things, you know what I mean? Like, uh, he was really big on like the church gives him money. So he has to make sure that all the money doesn't make him, uh, doesn't cast any doubt on him. Like, so like if, you know, if I had a BMW, for example, then maybe guys wouldn't tie to redemption road because I have a BMW and they think that they paid for it and they don't want to pay for it. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, yeah. So like my dad would be like, you definitely Super can't cautious. buy BMW. Yeah. Even if like my company, yeah. like I have a coffee company, right? And like maybe that becomes very successful and I can actually afford a BMW because of the company, right? right. But I should never get one because that would be like a view that would be different. That's kind of like old school. Right. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, but there's not a lot that we really even disagree on. And we are able to talk through everything. Like we have a very engaged relationship and you guys don't see a lot of it, but we've, we've had some pretty good yelling matches at each other, you know, about like, Hey, come on, you know, get on this page. And dad's like, Hey, you got this page. And we go back and forth until we get on the same page, you know, but I think that's healthy. I mean, it's not like, we're not like, yeah, you know, putting each other down, but like we're, pa I'm right. a passionate guy. You probably heard it in this podcast. I'm a very passionate guy. And my dad's a passionate guy. And we get passionate and we talk and we debate and you know, Albert doesn't think. Yeah, but you both are wanting to advance the kingdom of God. And that's Absolutely. And that, you know, that's a common, Absolutely. common thread. But I, I want to say for, for your dad, Doug, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that uh, uh, Doug allows you to lead him. Oh, totally. And I see that he gives you so much space yes. in, in that. And that's 100% in, true. In such a loving way. Yes. And uh, and, and I, really, I think that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and so Doug is, you know, I mean, he's not that I much I think that speaks, though, to what I'm talking about. My dad absolutely lets me lead him, and it's still hard for me. Because yeah. it just feels so like feels it's dad, like yeah. it's, you know, it's Doug, like it's pastor Doug, like it's, it's the guy, mm -hmm. you know, like you don't lead him. Like he always <laughs> leads you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so like, even just having to like lead a meeting that he's at that, that was at the beginning, it was like, felt like impossible. Right. right. You know, but I love how, you know, I, I pick up on that too, because uh, you know, he's modeling, yes. you know, he's modeling well for, for us. I'm not that much younger than him. Yeah. But, uh, still it, it's a model for me because I have yeah. a grandson, you know, right. I, I had two sisters and, and I have two daughters and, you know, I really haven't had much experience with, you know, engaging a young, a, a young boy. Yeah. And so now I have a grandson and I actually have two grandsons, yeah. but, uh, but that, that he's modeled well for me in that area. So I, awesome. I pick up on those things and, yeah. and, and take those to heart because, uh, I saw that and I was like, man, that, that's gotta be really important. And that's got to make Aaron feel really good. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of times like after every single weekend where I debrief with my dad, right? So, Hey, what do you think about this or that? Or like, how did we do here? Or how could we communicate it better there? Where do this was a problem? How could we have kept that from being a problem? You know? And we have yeah. lots and lots of conversations about, you know, leadership and yeah. how to motivate and how to keep the culture healthy and all that kind of stuff. So that's what it's like, Casey. I mean, um, with my mom and with Jess and um, I guess with Jess, it's uh, it's very normal as well. So here's a funny story just to kind of, it's fun to share this kind of stuff. So before I asked Jess to marry me when I was still in high school, so we've only been dating like two years. I told Jess, I said, listen, you have got to watch my mom and you have to tell me if you don't want this life because I'm going to be a pastor and that's going to be your life. And I can't have you tell me that you don't want to do this because this is the mission I have in my life is to be a pastor. And so 
I need you on board. And uh, so she watched my mom for three more years. And before we got engaged, I said, listen, are you good? Are we in? Are you good with this life? And you see all the struggles my mom and dad have had and how hard being a pastor's wife is and all this stuff. Are we, are we, are we on the same page? And she was like, yeah, let's do it. That's amazing. So That's awesome. But I had watched so many pastors get taken out by wives who never wanted to be in ministry. And ministry life is not easy. It is really hard. And, uh, you know, pastors are like, well, either I get divorced or I'd be a pastor. And if I get divorced, then I'm not being a pastor. Because <laughs> that totally discredits your ministry. Sure. Right? <laughs> I mean, obviously. Yeah. So you don't choose your pastorate. But then it's almost like, how do you not choose your calling over your wife? But... You didn't think of that before you got married. So that's your own problem. You know what I mean? Like you weren't <laughs> yeah. smart enough to be like, yeah, hey, I was called when I was 14. Oh, they look a pretty girl. You know, I probably should vet that. Like they don't think about that. Yeah. You know, I was called when I was 29. No, I was married. Right. Years. And so uh, like, like <laughs> because I, I was called when I was 10 and because I was purposeful about watching my dad and about studying his friends and studying other pastors, like, I don't know why, but like it like I've thought about all of this, like that goes to that challenge, right? Like right. I think about things, I'm intentional about things. And that's just kind of been true for me my whole life, like intentionally building and making sure that I don't get off mission. Right? right. And then I didn't know what to do in college, like totally got thrown because there was just like, I lost everything and yeah. I didn't know what to do. And then it went way downhill. Right. <laughs> and then Jesus brought it all back in a better way. That's so amazing. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap up here, um, if you, well, let's just do it this way. Um, if there's one guy out there that's listening to this podcast that hasn't been on a weekend, mm. right? Yeah. And he's hurting. Maybe he's at his bottom. Yeah. Um, maybe he's not. Yeah. But what would you say? What What's your heart posture? And what, what would you want to say to the people listening? that? especially the men, you know, for the men's side, but also for marriage weekends yeah. and stuff like that, because we do some of those too. Um, yeah. What would you say to them? I would say that Jesus's yoke is easy and that his burden is light. And that if you're not experiencing that, then you're not experiencing Jesus. Solid. So come on a weekend, you know, <laughs> because when I pushed into that, Jesus totally rocked me, you know, just to go back to that. I never got to finish that and that's fine. But like that totally, he totally rocked me. And he, he was like, listen, well, you're not in me. Yeah. I'm yeah. not a liar. I'm not a liar. And uh, I kept pushing back. Yeah. But yeah, but well, that's not me. <laughs> right. That's not me. Yeah. That's not me. And I was like, what do you mean? That's not you. It's your church. Yeah. But it's not me. That's what I've seen. It's they're doing it in my name, but it's not me. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, there's people hurting out there and there's people hurting out there. Like you said, who are at their bottom. There's people out there who are just like, just cruising. Right. Yeah. A lot of men are just in like, like cruise control. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they just go to church, they go home, they have their wife, you know, they don't or, have a ton of fights, but life isn't great. It's just kind of normal. Yeah. And then they or, hear about a redemption road week and, and their general thought is, well, I'm not broke enough to go on one of those. You know, uh, and I'm it's, like, it's yeah, you're about, so arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if that offends you, think good. Right. Good. You know what I mean? Because sometimes we need to get offended. You know, sometimes offense can wake up something in us. Yeah. Well, you know, well, we've talked about that, too. You know, we want brothers, you know, and when we talk in our group, you know, and we've been, I've been with these guys for a long time. Yeah. And so um, we, we we do desire uh, to have a, a brother, uh, specifically in this case, um, to to love us enough to cut us. Yep. Mm -hmm. And we, we've mentioned that a few times and uh, to cut us, not to wound us. No, but it is, it is kind of like sometimes wake, waking you up. Sometimes speaking hard truth matters. Oh, absolutely. And that's what you mean by cutting. Uh, yeah. So like Definitely. there's all kinds of situations that come up in life where like, I'm not going to tell them that because it's going to hurt them. Right. And it's going to make me feel awkward. And then that's where we have to ask ourselves, do I love that person enough to cut them? And to step Absolutely. into that awkwardness. Yeah. And if the answer to that is no, then that's not very good love. But we commit. 
you know, stay with that, right? With that person. And, and so that's what that was about. That, that arrogant, yeah. that comment about the arrogance. That was about, I love you enough to cut you. Yeah. Right. I love you enough to say like, yeah. that's ego, bro. Right. That's ego. And right. egos of the enemy. Ego is actually what that's got Satan death. kicked out. Yep. That's right. To- totally I can true. be good enough as God. I'm as good as God. So ego is not something that's talked bad about in the church. And that's strange. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. It is strange. That ego, the the very thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven isn't brought up all the time in the church. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's that should be a big and topic. Posing. Posing. Absolutely. <laughs> hiding. That's another one. Well, hiding is the result yeah. of uh being seen mm-hmm. and being embarrassed or feeling shame right. by what you think they see. Yeah. Right. And ego is another thing of like, I'm as good as God. I can, you know, do everything God can do. You should worship me instead of God. That's what that's what Lucifer literally did. Yep. Right? Um, and so m- humility is where life is, right. humility and authentic- authenticity, which is right. one of our key things. So let me, let me break away just for a moment from you and to ask Albert. Yeah. Albert, my brother. What's up? So if the, if there were some guys listening, it's kind of the same question. Uh, what would you like to impart to them? Just, just that mindset, right? They're the saying that like, you don't you don't necessarily have to be at your bottom and broken to be able to unplug and, and hear Jesus and plug into him. Yeah, you, know you know certainly I mean? weren't. Oh. I was I didn't even need to go. I thought it was gonna be a father in law bonding trip. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <you know. laughs> but yeah. but no man, like no matter where you're at in life, right? Don't don't get don't get complacent or confident that too cocky that you know, I'm good. Yeah. With your, you got a job, got a good job, got a good wife, you know, good kids, whatever, nice house. That don't mean that you're, that your heart's right or your mind's right with Jesus. Right. Right. Or it may just be your heart's kind of stagnant. You exactly. Know, you're like, oh, this is, yeah. there seems like there's more. And, uh, and, and, and definitely Jesus wants to reveal more, mm-hmm. you know, there's and, more, I, and that's what, you know, I did ministry for a long time and, and I didn't even know some of the things that were, that were broken in me, you know, I still but find I, out oh, now. So true. <laughs> I did. I didn't even know, you know, that and mean. I was just like, yeah, all right, I'll go, whatever. Kumbaya. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> I still come up with things and tell Tori, my wife that, you know what I mean? Like, Oh man, I've, I've, this is an issue. Right. I'm just realizing it, but that's just, the and it consistently reveals plug. even, even like through group or mm-hmm. through our, our men's uh, group on Wednesday nights and stuff. So I don't mean to be discouraging, but I've been doing this pretty hardcore for 15 years and I'm still finding stuff. I don't think that's incur- uh, discouraging at all. I think it's encouraging. Good. Because there's always more to look forward yeah. to. There's always something he's going to reveal and it's going to be those aha moments yeah. you know, in your life that, that, that help you that's continue right. to practice kingdom living, right? And have a kingdom marriage and, yeah. and, and model well. I've heard people say it's discouraging because they want to arrive. They want to be there. Oh, we'll arrive. They want to be fixed. I don't, we're not you know what I mean? That's here. the American culture, right? That's the American culture, though. <laughs> I want to, I want to, I want to quote unquote, go on the weekend, get fixed, and then have a pretty life. Right. Yeah. But see, that's the thing is like, that's, that's what's so exciting in my opinion about the gospel is it's not just you say a prayer and then you wait to die. Yeah. Like you get an awesome freaking mission. Right. You get a mission to live on your rest of your life. Right. And it's really exciting and you can go really deep into Jesus. Right. Right. So I I heard a, I heard an amazing thing and I can't remember. It's probably from, it was from one of the books. I don't know whose book it was, but, um, uh, and I wish I could, but, uh, they said, you know, everybody's got a, a purpose and a destiny. You know, God's given us a purpose and a destiny and to die without fulfilling your purpose and destiny would be like a mother who has a baby in womb and dies before the baby's born. Mm, yeah. And so I'm like, wow, yeah, I do have a purpose and destiny. You know, God's revealed that to me. You know, it wasn't until I was coming to Redemption Road when that happened. But uh, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to die without fulfilling my purpose and destiny. Right. You know, absolutely. And so that's part of my drive. Yeah. In the ministry um, is to continue that because I, I'm like you, I, I so desperately, I mean, the desire is so, on fire in my heart to expand, to expand the kingdom of God Yeah, in any facet I possibly can. Yeah, totally. Um, and so that's, yeah. So case, let's same, pose the same question for you. So I've always told people, um, 
being a plumber and used to do HVAC, you do preventative maintenance on things around your house. You do preventative maintenance on your cars, on your furnace, on your air conditioning unit, because you want to make sure that it's going to keep working for a long time. Why don't you do that to your life? Why don't you do it to your marriage? To your heart? Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Why do you wait until you're on the brink of divorce to go, hey, we should go see a counselor? Why do you wait until your life is completely in shambles to go, yeah, I need help? Yeah. And if your life is great, why would you not want to try to turn to Jesus more? Right. Yeah. Um, Every good thing comes from God. Yeah. Right. I have a philosophy of, you know, I I can always be better. Yeah. Right. You know? And does, which does is my, different than I'm never, I'm not enough. Right. Right. That's not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go for great. What does that look like? Yeah. You know, a great dad, a great husband, you know, I want those things mm-hmm. and I want to go for that. So what does that look like? You know, and, yeah. and that's the continue. That's the, the preventive maintenance you're talking about is doing those kind of things, you know, so you can keep moving forward. So absolutely. So Spiritual Aaron, disciplines. Since this was your, this was your story. We all, we all shared. I like it. Awesome. I love it. I, I love but see, isn't that part brothers. of my story? Oh, it's totally. Right? So that's what I love about you guys all being here for it. Yeah. Is uh, I'm not alone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I, that was a lot of my story. It was I was alone in the church. I was just pretending. They weren't real friends. They were all just there because yeah. I performed well. Right. Not a single one of y'all here because I performed well. That's nope. true. You're just my real friends. <laughs> well, that's, that's true. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Case in point. Yeah. Well, I just want to tell everybody thanks. Thank you for listening in. Uh, keep keep uh, keep listening to the podcast as they come out. You know, like uh, Aaron said at one point uh, that there's going to be some a lot more you know great material coming along. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do listen in and um, uh, give us your feedback because uh, it's important. And uh, you know, go online to redemptionroad.com if you want to check us out. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, there's some contact information in there. Um, anybody you want to talk to, you just, uh, you get, get a hold of Aaron. He'll get you patched in with one of us or him himself. He's pretty good to talk to So I love nah, him. I'll, I'll, I'll pass you on to somebody. Hey, else. I love you, brother. Thanks for sharing your story. <laughs> Casey, you. Albert, yeah, love you guys. It was awesome. You Let know that. All right. Everybody have a great day. All right.